So is yours. Okay. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I do um, wiggling my tongue left and right in my mouth. As you go around the corner. <laughs> User error 79. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. We're back. We've got a bunch of ask error questions for you this time. And remember, you can submit the questions on either Twitter or the Jupiter Broadcasting Telegram group using the hashtag AskError. So the first one then. With better technology, why don't we necessarily see better art? This was something that I was thinking about when I was listening to Bohemian Rhapsody. Now that was a masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. It remains so now. And they made that with relatively primitive technology in the 70s. Now we've got all Pro Tools and computers and everything. And yet, I don't think we've seen anything as ambitious or more ambitious than that. And you can apply this to other art forms as well. So why haven't we seen anything that is just amazing? Lowering the barrier to entry for things in general doesn't mean you have better things. It just means you have more of them, right? Like look at photography, right? If we think about how much more difficult it was to take photos before, or even if we just think about like the fact of you used to have a finite set of film and you were constrained by the amount of film you had. And so you had to make sure that each photograph you took was important or special or worth spending the money on that film on because you only had so many. Now we can take infinite amounts of photos. So people just don't care and they just take a photo of whatever and then post it. Yeah, true. And also the technology for photos has become much easier or much better. Like I took some amazing shots of the moon a couple of months ago with a camera that cost me like, I don't know, 150 quid or something. Whereas there was a time not that long ago where you would have had to spend a couple of grand to get a shot as good as that. Yeah. And the problem is that the people that are using the technology, like they don't really care about making art. Like we were at Sagrada Familia, right? In Barcelona, like viewing this beautiful architecture. And there was a guy taking a picture of his girlfriend, like straddling one of the pillars. People don't care. Like even if it's a supposedly like holy space, like you're at a church and and they just, they don't care about the art at all. And so just because it's easier or the technology is there, it doesn't mean that people care. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with that. How long were you in that place? Oh, uh, a couple hours probably. Right. So like two hours out of your entire life, you saw one person straddling, you know, a piece of art. I think if you watched all the people pass through that place, I think there probably would have been plenty of people who've taken very well-composed very stylish pictures in that background with that backdrop, right? You just happen to see the lowest common denominator. And I think that's partly the reason or goes along with the reason why I think you don't see another Bohemian Rhapsody is there may well be one, but you're not necessarily tuned into it because you're listening to a, in one place at one time, listening to one type of media. It's entirely possible that someone somewhere has made a fantastic piece of music that is comparable with Bohemian Rhapsody, but you'll never see it because you're not listening to that. Or maybe it'll be made in 30 years time after you're dead. Or, you know, maybe it was a recording that Prince did. That, and now he's dead and nobody will see that, you know, that, that recording. I think it's, I think this is the whole arrogance of humans again, that I haven't seen it, therefore it doesn't exist. 
Well, I think it's more complicated than that, though, too, because we have to look at like what kind of things get popular or get shown around, right? It's like, okay, well, why are things burying other things that are less less what we would think of as art? But if, if I mean, if you look at it, like what's happened to journalism in a lot of cases, where you have like clickbait bloggers that are like built for the algorithm, you know, and then they're not necessarily creating art. It's not the best prose you've ever read. It's not the most like ethical or investigative, you know, journalism out there. It's it's whatever got a bunch of people to click that thing. Right. And that's comparable with the pop music that gets churned out that's by no way comparable with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody because they're doing it to a price. They want to get a lot of people streaming that song or buying that song and then move on to the next song. Whereas Queen were trying to create art. They were trying to create a, you know, particular piece of music that embodied what they were feeling at the time. And they had less constraints or fewer constraints. So they could, even though they were limited by the duration of the song, shouldn't be more than a certain number of minutes because certain radio stations just wouldn't play it. They went outside those boundaries. They pushed, you know, beyond the boundaries that they were given. Whereas these days we don't see a lot of that. I mean, we, there is some of it and there is some interesting esoteric music out there that's would never get played on mainstream radio. Just like there are long, well-written thought pieces that you might see on, you know, some blog somewhere that isn't going to be on a BuzzFeed or BBC News or CNN or whatever. I guess it, it leaves kind of a question of if this is something we care about and we see as bad, like how do we do anything about it? Like how do we disincentivize like low effort entries and how do we expose things that we would consider like actual art? Well, I think the first step is to vote with your mouse or your touchpad and don't click on the bullshit. I have stopped clicking on lists of things, listicles and list videos. And it's a silent protest that will probably get me nowhere. But if everyone in the world kept to that same rule of I don't click on listicles and list videos, then eventually those things would go away. And so we just have to vote with our wallets, as it were. Eh, I'm not so sure. I think those things are valuable in and of themselves. I, I still feel that people want to sometimes want to consume trashy throwaway content. Like not everyone wants to read a 10,000 word piece about, you know, the status of Chechnya or whatever. The, you know, the, the, some people just want to read a bit of content because they've got a small amount of time and they want to find something interesting, read it, move on. Um, I, and I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah, that's that's totally fair enough. But there's just something about the listicle that winds me up. Like If it was cool things to do after installing Ubuntu, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But nine things or 10 things to do just feels like spammy and clickbaity to me. And It would essentially be the same article, but... There's just something about that list format that just drives me fucking bananas. I think we've deviated quite a bit from the, uh, with better technology, we should see better art original question. And I'm, I'm not convinced that 
the, the technology is a function that makes things better. Like, is Avatar better than the indigenous Australian cave paintings? Because Avatar was made, you know, 3D rendered and it was made in 3D and it was used a lot of technology. Is it better? Is, um, is it better than Starry Night by Van Gogh or Girl with a Pair of Earring? Like, is it, it does technology make something better? And I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's, you could have, a great artist with the worst tools in the world still make something amazing. Yeah, if you gave Freddie Mercury just a piano or a guitar, he could have probably written an amazing song. Right. And then you throw all the technology in the world at Baby Shark and it's still terrible. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, the planet is very populous and there are a lot of people out there who will consume trashy content. There's not a lot you could do about that. Is Linux or FOSS the vegan option within software? What do you mean by the vegan option? Do you mean from the perspective of low impact on the environment? Or do you mean from the impact of vegan people always tell you they're vegan? What what perspective are you asking from? Well, I'm assuming that the person who asked this question was going for the latter, but maybe they weren't. Maybe they were suggesting that it's low impact environmentally. In which case, no, because it's not going to use that much less in terms of electricity and stuff than proprietary options. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting comparison, though, because there is a lot of overlaps with with those kinds of people, right? Where it's like you have groups of people that are maybe like very loud about their like lifestyle choices and they really believe in this thing a lot to the point of like activism um, right. Like the loudest people in veganism are probably similar to the loudest people in like the free open source software Linux kind of mindset world. Right. Like I, I think there'd be an interesting like personality overlap between those kind of people. I don't think so. I think there's a specific subset of people who run Linux and some might say those people probably run Arch and they're quite happy to tell you they run Arch just like, you know, the meme of, you know, someone who is a vegan is always telling you that and someone who runs Arch is always telling you that. I think there is definitely a um, a visible correlation between those types of people. But I think the problem we have here is that people see the those individuals as representative of all Linux users, and it just isn't. And it frustrates me no end that People have this perception that I use Linux like this, therefore everyone uses Linux like this. And it gets on my tits so much that they just can't see outside their box that there are people out there who just use it as a tool, just like someone might use Windows or someone else might use MacOS or Android or iOS. They're just using it. They don't give a shit about the philosophy. They don't care about free software. They don't want to contribute. They don't feel like this is some kind of philosophical crusade it's just software and it's just software they like using and i think there's enough of those out there that they vastly outnumber the by the way i use arch people but don't you think that's the same thing with vegans though right like don't you think that like most vegans are probably like i don't know i just think eating animal stuff's gross and they just like mind their own business and like, don't you think it's kind of the same thing where it's like only the loud people are actually really similar and everybody else is kind of like, whatever, I just do it because I want to. Yeah, I don't know enough vegans to be able to measure that. Um, 
you know, and the ones that I do know are quite happy to evangelize, but I, I haven't looked outside my bubble to all vegans. So I couldn't, I couldn't make a judgment on that. Well, I know a vegetarian very well. In fact, she sleeps in my bed every night <gasps> and you would not know from talking to her. She never talks about it. It's just, she thinks that eating corpses is gross and so doesn't. And, you know, she, there's no like huge ethical um, campaign that she's on or whatever. And, you know, she will happily uh, see me eat plenty of meat all the time. And, you know, she would never eat it herself, but she's not going to be super judgmental of me or whatever. And I think that that is the majority of vegetarians and vegans that they, as Dan said, just don't want to eat meat or animal products or whatever and just get on with it. Right. And I think that's that's the thing. There's a lot of them and they're very different and they do it for different reasons, just like the Linux community is. And just like the Windows using community. Like this, this is a bunch of people who use a thing, whatever that thing is, and they use it for varying reasons. Trying to lump all these people together and say these people are like, I mean, there are similarities, obviously, but I, I don't think you can lump all those people together and say they're just like these other people. I'm going to go one further and say everyone's like vegans. There's loud people and there's quiet people. Mm. We're all vegans, secretly. <laughs> We're all vegans that lapse quite a lot. <laughs> do you own a TV? Do you not own a TV? I do technically own a TV, yes, but I do not own anything that is capable of receiving live broadcasts that are not streamed over the internet. Do you need for it to be a live broadcast to be considered owning a TV? That is a good question. The, the TV that I've got was given to me and uh, I use it as a monitor. It's, it has um, a receiver built into it, but it's only analog. And they switched that off like 10 years ago, maybe a bit less than that. Um, so it, it is just physically incapable of receiving that. So I, I don't know. I mean, if I plugged a Roku into it, would it be a TV? I suppose so. Do you ever use it for non-interactive entertainment purposes? Not really, no. So no, no YouTube no podcasts. Well, no, because it's not very good, and I managed to drop it and uh, sort of slightly damage it. So I just use it for sort of playing with the Raspberry Pis and things that I need a separate monitor for. Um, but I do have a PC with a monitor, which is like my entertainment station, as it were, that we watch iPlayer and stuff like that on. So I'm going to say that that's your TV. Yeah. And the other one's a monitor. Yeah, well, we do refer to it as the telly, like the telly table that it's on. It's like a cabinet thing. But it, we don't watch, well, we do sometimes watch live iPlayer and stuff, but um, otherwise it's not really, I don't know, It's, it's is it a TV? I suppose you're saying that it is. I think the, the problem for us Brits is there is a almost legal definition of what is a TV from the TV license because we have a mandated amount of money you have to pay if you're using a device that is capable of watching live TV, whether it's over terrestrial or satellite or cable or the internet, it doesn't matter how you get it. If you're watching live or as live, then you need to pay the TV license. And so I think in, in a British person's he head, a TV is a thing that's capable of doing that. 
And if it is capable of doing that, then it's a TV. And if it's not, and I realize there are people out there who are angrily writing to me now about the legality of TV licenses and how you don't have to pay them. I don't care. I really, really don't <laughs> care. Fuck off. Stop writing to me. You've actually got something wrong, though. If you watch iPlayer on demand, you also need to have a license. So that was a recent change in the rules. But what I'm saying, what I'm getting at is historically British people have this innate knowledge of what is a television based around partly the TV license. Everyone in America right now is like, you need a license to buy a television in line buying a gun at Walmart with no license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they call it a license, but that's just Orwellian speak for tax. It's just a, a tele-tax, basically, to fund the BBC and some other broadcasters. We have that too. We have public broadcasting television. What, and do you have to pay to watch that? Well, I mean, with taxes, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not free. Yeah, it's free at the point of delivery like our glorious NHS. Yeah, nobody knows that they're paying for it, but they're paying for it. Right, whereas ours is optional. If you're not what if you're not consuming it, then you don't have to pay, and some people will argue you don't ever have to pay it. I'm again, fuck off. But think of the <laughs> underprivileged children. How do you serve them with that libertarian system of only the users pay? <laughs> Shut up, lefty. So the broader question is, do you watch any live TV? Either of you? If I wanted to watch some kind of live television and it wasn't being broadcast officially on YouTube, then I might be inclined to borrow the cable login of one of my friends <laughs> if I was the kind of person who would do that thing. So I, I often watch stuff deferred. Uh, so uh, in 15 minutes, a TV program is about is going to start and I, I've got it set to record and I will watch it 15 minutes late because that allows me to skip through all the adverts. Um, so I'll often, I'll often do that just so that I don't have to watch the adverts and I can skip through them all. And if I find myself catching up too much because the program's like over an hour and a half and there's enough adverts in there that, you know, I, I'm catching up with live, then I'll often just pause it partway through the program and go and have a pee or go and get a drink or something just so that I don't have to watch the adverts because I hate them. With how many ads are baked into live television, it is extremely surprising that you can't just stream it, that you have to like have a cable subscription to watch it or like here anyway. Like it's weird that like, it's 90% ads. Why can't I just stream it? Well, it, it, over here, it's not. There, there are way fewer ads on British TV than there are on American TV. So in a typical one hour, you'll have three ad breaks of up to four minutes each. Here, it's like, it's like American football. You get two minutes of gameplay and then like 20 minutes of bullcrap. Yeah, I, I hate watching American TV. Well, I don't watch any American TV when I'm over there. Or any, uh, if there's sports ball on in a bar, then that's great. You know, in the background while you're drinking beer and eating chicken wings. But American TV is just shite as far as I'm concerned, unless I can watch it with all the ads stripped out of it. And they're all ads for like pharmaceutical related things. And it's like, <laughs> ask your doctor about Trublenta. And you're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Oh dear, don't even get me started on the bloody editing. It's like cut, 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 just as if Americans just can't concentrate on one thing for more than a second at a time. 
there's just a, like a slideshow reel of stock photography with people <laughs> yeah. like enjoying their lives. And it's like, make sure that you talk to your doctor about this and talk to your doctor about that. Well, I have heard from people that they like having adverts in TV programs in America because it <laughs> gives them an opportunity to go to the bathroom. And us in the UK, uh, not having adverts on their, their public service broadcast of BBC makes it difficult to... Uh, to go to the bathroom and knowing, but now we have the ability to pause live telly. That that problem goes away because you could just pause it and you know come back. How do you prepare your coffee? Boil a kettle, teaspoon of instant, a sweetener, bit of milk, done. Oh, instant! <laughs> oh my god! Triggered. <laughs> yeah, you just triggered half the listeners. Well done. So first of all, we get our small batch uh, locally roasted beans from the. Christ. Why is this not a surprise to me, Dan? <laughs> okay, we don't, we've only done that a couple times, but we do use a French press and we grind our own beans at home, and we've we've gone up to like we started off with I think like two scoops, like I think it's a tablespoon or something like that of beans, and now we're up to like four. And so we just keep adding like more and more beans, like darker and darker roast. And and I think we're we're getting pretty close to like dying of of coffee oversaturation, but it's it's pretty good. So one of my colleagues at work who has now um has now left was a a real uh fan of uh, homemade coffee much the way you are and would never ever sully his taste buds with coffee from the machine in the kitchen at the canonical office and another guy joined our team and he is similarly loopy about coffee and so at like 11 o'clock when we're in the london office which isn't very often but whenever we are they both scooch off to some little alleyway coffee place that's you know half a mile to a mile away from the office in order to get a cup of coffee and there's me and martin just walk over to the kitchen and press a button on a machine and out <laughs> pops some coffee and we're like yep done um and i i've been i took i went there once um and then i think i went there again recently and my colleague explained that he has a very sensitive olfactory system and so his he he just can't abide the smell of crap coffee and he has to have proper coffee and it has to be done in a particular way and um <laughs> i went to the shop with him and he said look let me buy you a coffee let me take you there let me take you to the shop let me take you there <laughs> i'm like yeah all right okay so we go there and he buys a coffee and I drink it and it just tastes like coffee. And every, pretty much every morning, I'll drop my son off at school and on the way home, I'll stop at McDonald's and get a coffee just so that I can troll him <laughs> in my first morning meeting, drinking a cup of McDonald's <laughs> coffee in front of the webcam because apparently it's terrible coffee, which I've never noticed. It's funny that you mentioned a French press. So by that, you mean that plungery thing that we call a cafetier, I think. Yeah. Um, guess what French people call that? An English press. <laughs> no, they don't have a word for it because it doesn't exist there. Yeah, it's some American bullshit probably. Yeah, uh, they use coffee machines, like a proper machine thing. They wouldn't be seen dead using one of them. Huh. Yes, fun fact. I'm sure that some French people may use them and will correct me, but that's my understanding of it. As for how I prepare my coffee, 
I do not prepare my coffee. I don't drink anything hot because I'm weird. Don't drink tea, coffee, hot chocolate. That is weird. Cup of soup, anything like that. I like my drinks cold. What about iced coffee, which is essentially coffee-flavored milk? Yeah, I don't really like milk much. I'll tell you what's really quite nice is there's a Lipton peach iced tea that you can get in the co-op in the, in the fridge. That's really, really nice. It's really thirst quenching, but it's cold, obviously. But it doesn't really taste of tea. It's more peachy than tea No, I save up all my drinking calories for bows and otherwise just drink water. Thank you very much. Coffee stout? <laughs> no, just cider and a bit of Jägermeister now and then. I've started actually using, uh, I've got three cafetiere french presses one like that is quite big with a big big fat plunger and then a slightly smaller one that does like exactly one cup and i've got one that's like a portable you know like those thermos like Mm -hmm. lined cups that you take if you go outside Mm -hmm. it's actually got an integral plunger built into it and you just put the coffee and the water in and then you just push the plunger down and it pushes it all to the very bottom of the cup and then you just drink it straight from the cup. It's so cool. That's awesome. It is. It's really cool. But I rarely use it because I'm just too lazy and instant is fine. How do you forgive yourself? This came up in the JB Telegram group over the last couple of weeks. And it was someone wanting advice on how to forgive themselves for hurting their family and stuff. And... I didn't have a good answer. I really, I don't know. There are things that I've done in the past that I'm not proud of that I do find it hard to forgive myself for. And my only answer is to sort of numb the pain with bows, as usual with any problem, pour some bows on it. Ah, yeah, that's that's a difficult thing to articulate, right? I guess thinking about it, there's something about like, the past existing only in our memories, like the past doesn't exist anymore. The past is fake. It's something that only exists because we remember it exists, but it doesn't actually like have any bearing on our reality anymore. Um, I don't know. There's something about like that disassociation for me. That's like, okay, this past thing happened, but the only thing that really matters is what I'm doing right now or what I plan to do, I suppose, even though the future is made up too, right? Like the future only exists because we think about it existing. I I, I don't know. This is making my brain hurt now. That's quite a naive view of the world, I think, to say that the past doesn't exist because the the clearly the past does exist. Like the, the stuff around you, the, the think pads that Popey has got were made in the past and they still exist now. If they hadn't been made, they wouldn't be there. And the feelings that you have inside you and inside the people that you have hurt exist because of shit that happened in the past and will continue into the future. And yes, technically only this moment exists and now only this moment exists, etc. But, well, I mean, take the, the people listening to this, that's going to be in the future. Um, and when I'm editing it and stuff, and so we, and when, you know, when I put these questions together, it was in the past, but they're still sitting in this fucking dock looking at me. So I don't think you can simplify it as much as that. The past is important only in that it informs what we do now, in my opinion, right? Like, other than that, like, what what is the use of 
thinking about the past. Like it either brings you joy, and so that's great because you can remember things that you enjoyed, or it's informing some future decision. But past that, it seems like lamenting the past or having deep regret is not particularly useful past like saying, you know, ah, I, I made a mistake and I, and I won't do that again. Like I've learned not to do that and now I will change my future behavior. But but other than that, spending a lot of time wishing that you could change something that happened previously or being upset about yourself for something that is now now no longer mutable, right? Like it, it's gone. Well, it seems like it's not super useful to think of the past as being like totally real. Like it, it, it's like, yeah, it happened, but it, it, it's gone now. I'm kind of in agreement with Dan that the past is another place, another version of you. You can't go back and fix that. You, If you upset someone, you can try and make amends, seek forgiveness, try and let the other person know you're not going to do that thing again and give some confidence that you're not that dick that you were in the past in some way. So the the remnants of what happened in the past, just like the thing pads uh, and art that, ha- that was created in the past, those things still exist, just like the memories of the past still exist in other people's heads. And I, I agree with Joe that that is a naive view of the world. It's a nice idea that you can kind of punch someone and then say, hey, that was past me. Tough luck. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah, that doesn't count. Uh, whoops, I did it again. <laughs> That's also past me. Sorry. Um, I don't think, I don't think you could quite get away with that. Well, no, of course not. That's, that's silly because that's the, the past matters in terms of how it informs the present, right? Like you said, those memories still exist in the person. So that's, that's something that, that, that is now is, is that person's memories and repeated behavior. It, it indicates them like what's going to happen in the future, right? And if you don't ever learn from the past, like if you don't use the past in any meaningful way, then that's, yeah, that's obviously not very mature or reasonable. Right. Um, I'm inclined to agree with you that it is possible to see the past as a, you know, as a different person and a different set of atoms and a different circumstance. And, you know, you should march forward. Um, my problem is I can't, and I've just, seeing this question presented in front of me sent me into a spin of turmoil thinking about all the horrific things I'd done in the past. So thanks Joe. And thanks <laughs> whoever it was who asked that question. Well done. Um, you know, that's just a thing that I have to deal with is that I, I let the bad things that I've done keep me awake at night 20 years later. And that's just one of those things you have to deal with and figure out a way to get past that. But it is, I find that really difficult. Like, I have that crushing feeling that, oh shit, that thing that I did 10 years ago or five years ago, or even that thing I did a couple of weeks ago where I was needlessly aggressive to someone or where I said something and actually I should have chosen better words. You know, those things hang around in my brain like dusty old think pads for a very long time. I still feel bad for some of the stuff I've said to you. Good. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, guilt is is useful, right? Like guilt is a useful emotion because it forces us to change or to at least consider change, right? 
So I, I don't think guilt is is like totally negative or totally unreasonable. Um, but but being consumed by guilt, I think, doesn't entirely make sense because you can't really you can't change the past. Like the past is 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 set in stone. It's over. It's done. Like you can't change it. So you can feel like, oh, I shouldn't have done that thing, like to the extent of learning and growing as a person. But it, I don't know. I, I just don't think it really makes a ton of sense to spend too much emotional energy on considering the past when there's so much more use out of like spending that on how are you going to change and do things differently in the future? Yeah, I'll try. Very much easier said than done, though. How do you dispose of your old hard drives for security purposes, especially if they're dead, but you want to make sure they are wiped? I have done the like write zeros to the drive thing before, but um, I suck at security. So I guess I just give it to the store to recycle. I have a pile of disks on another desk near me that I recently went through because they've, they've, I've had machines where I've upgraded the hard drive. And so there's a smaller one left over. And sometimes they get passed down, hand me down to other machines. But then eventually you end up with, you know, 80 gigabyte spinning rust laptop drives that have come out of the worst laptop you've got because everything's been handed down and that's what falls out the bottom of the pile. And I went through all these old drives that are all like 500 gig or 120 gig or something that's like, mm, I mean, it's usable, but I probably don't need this anymore. And I zeroed them all. I just DD'd zeros over them. And that's as much as I will ever do. Um, I haven't decided what I'm going to do with them, whether I still need them, in inverted commas, need them for um, any older ThinkPads that I, have no drive in them. For example, if I, if I buy one on eBay that has no drive, then they might be useful for that. But yeah, I'd probably just chuck them in the bin or have fun. If I think nobody's ever going to use it again, I'll take it apart with a Torx screwdriver and then just split the spindles up and chuck them in the bin just, just for the fun. The only problem I have is with SSDs because that they're harder to wipe uh, because yeah, the drive has intelligence to know. It's not quite as simple as there's a head moving backwards and forwards. Like this is memory and it, it, it knows with where leveling, where to put stuff. And you'd never really know if you've actually wiped it. And you might have to use some manufacturer's utility to properly wipe the SSD. So I've never passed on an SSD because I can never be confident that the data is actually gone. But with a hard drive, I am very confident that one pass of DDing zeros over it, uh, nobody will get the data off it. Oh, that's funny that you've not mentioned DBAN. No. That's what I use, just to boot that up and it just auto-nukes it. You just leave it for a few hours or, well, it <laughs> can be longer depending on the size of it. Yeah, I'm aware of it. It's just too much effort. I, I, it's easier to just plug the drive into a, one of those caddy things and just DD zeros because D-band requires you to dedicate a machine to re reboot mm. and have the drive attached to that machine and no other important drives. And I can't be bothered to do that. It's easier to just DD zeros. And there's no... I am very confident that zeros is enough like people will say oh well you've got to do this striped stuff and you've got to use the military spec wipe that's all bullshit try and get data off of a drive that's had zeros dd'd over it and come back to me then is any of this necessary anymore with like disk encryption 
Uh, it depends how confident you are in the software and that it doesn't leak your keys and that your passphrase is super secure. If you're confident in all of that, then no, you probably don't need to DD zeros. It's just a nice belt and braces. You know, I'm confident that that disk has zeros all over it and not some data that may or may not be recoverable in the future. Yeah, well, you'd be pleased to hear that I debanned the iMac that you gave me um, before I sold it. So no one's ever getting any of your data or mine out of that. <laughs> but when it comes to other hard drives, like you, Popey, I just don't throw them away. It's only really if it's inside a machine like the iMac that I can't be asked to get it out of because it's a real pain in the ass to open an iMac up. Some people say, oh, no, no, it's not. It's easy, but come on. It's not like a laptop where you take a few screws out and the whole back comes off. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I've just got a drawer full of hard drives. I've even got a couple of IDE ones and even one SCSI one. Um, that's how bad of a hoarder I am. Yes. Because I just think, oh, maybe I'll use it one day, maybe. Like all those like 80 gig and 120 gig laptop drives, so, like maybe I'll use, make a NAS out of it with a Raspberry Pi or something. But realistically, I'm never buying another hard drive that is less than like six or eight terabytes. And it's just not worth the electricity to run anything smaller. So I recently got a couple of old Dell's uh, laptops off eBay and they came with no hard drive. And so I can repurpose in order to get one of them working. I can like cobble together all the parts to make that a working machine. And so sometimes they will be put back into service. But yeah, like you, I'm a hoarder and... I should just chuck them in the bin or give them to someone or take them to a charity shop or something. Yeah. Um, As for if one was dead and I wanted to get rid of it, I'd just drill a couple of holes in it or, well, four or five holes in it. Um, I've got the tools to do it and it'd be quite good fun. So that's what I would do there. As for SSDs, I would just smash it to pieces. I wouldn't give it away because I don't even trust those manufacturer bits of software they are designed to not allow data to be deleted on them. And it's it's so, I mean, it's like a little computer in SSD. So no, the only way to do that is just smash it to fucking pieces with a hammer <laughs> or microwave it like in Mr. Robot. Dan really strikes me as the opposite of you and me. We are the hoarders and he, I've never seen the inside of your apartment, Dan, but it strikes me that there is no superfluous shit in your house at all. That's my goal. That's that's the end goal is to try to get rid of all the superfluous shit. I feel like if it doesn't have a purpose, then like the what it does is annoy me and like gets in my way. (laughs) (laughs) The purpose is to be your stuff. You have to get all the stuff. It's like Pokemon. You got to catch them all. And like laptops, we've got to have them all. Less things. I want fewer of them, and I want my things to serve more purposes, like multitasking objects or die. Popey, if I said to you, you can have this free warehouse and you can put in it this pile of 100,000 old ThinkPads to play with at your leisure and it's not going to cost you a penny and it's walking distance from your house, what would you say? A little bit of pee just came out. (laughs) 